Hi, my name's John Kasher and welcome to Cash Talk, where there'll be no boundaries and a lot of straight talk. All things money, business, and just everyday stuff. Hey guys, before we get started, just a quick reminder that all the information in this podcast is of a general nature and not tailored to your personal circumstances. So please seek personal financial advice before acting on this information. Hey everyone, and welcome to another session where I'm joined once again by Mason Thorne and Nicola Hines. Uh, my name's John Kasher, and uh, we're three uh, people in financial advice who love to work with people on helping people in different situations. But one of the big things that we are talking about with a lot of our clients is, is around debt. And that you know is the amount of household debt that's currently being carried, what's obviously happening in the world of debt, both in debt markets, both in debt households. And so what we're gonna do today is really try to break down the bits and pieces of debt and what that means for, for, for people and obviously our listeners and viewers today. So um, Nicola, there's a lot we're gonna unpack, but maybe what are some of the things that we wanna be maybe speaking about today that are important for our listeners and viewers to know? Yeah, well, I guess debt at the moment, I feel like it's got a bit of a negative spin like in the market. You know, there's a lot of talk about interest rates rising and people's debt repayments increasing. But I guess on this podcast, we sort of want to touch on, you know, yes, that part of debt, but also what are some ways people can use debt to their benefit? Like how is it, how can it be a part of someone's financial plan? Mm -hmm. And how can we use it to actually accelerate their wealth accumulation journey? Yeah, there's some, there's some very much some bad thoughts when it comes to debt, especially when it comes to people's mindsets around debt. You know, debt is a very, very powerful tool that can be used to help people, you know, propel their wealth creation. And though at the moment, you know, everyone is obviously fascinated about, you know, paying off their debts or keeping up with them, and we appreciate that. So, you know, mindset is a big thing when it comes to debt, isn't it, Mason? Um, because it is a powerful tool, but sometimes people struggle to break through that. 100%. I think debt and n- negative connotation just comes with it. Um, I know when um, I was growing up, my parents, my grandparents were always saying, oh, debt, you got paid off as soon as you can. Rent's dead money. Pay down the mortgage as quick as possible. That That is the financial strategy you have to go with. I think nowadays, though, there's a, it's something. it's not quite the same anymore. I think there's that negative connotation is slowly going away, which is fantastic. I think that's to do with education and podcasts such as this that we talk about it and say, actually... Using debt to accelerate your wealth can be a really, really great strategy. 100%. And I feel like what we often see is there's kind of two different camps. I often feel like the real people that have grown up as sort of that traditional saver mindset, even though that is a positive, there's often a bit more fear around debt and like really wanting to pay it off quickly or not take on very much debt or any debt beyond your home mortgage. Whereas I feel like often the kind of spender spenders that we see, sometimes they're a bit more open to using debt to sort of utilize that to their advantage and help, um, I guess, accumulate wealth a bit quicker. It, it definitely is. And the, and the mindset of a spender is usually to embrace debt much better. And the problem is, is you find with that is that when you got a spender mindset, and these are the people who you know usually earn quite good money, but they kind of spend as much as they earn. Um, it, when it, when they usually are using debt in two ways, one is bad debt, which is using the debt to fuel their their lifestyle, um, but then there's obviously the other debt, which is the good debt, where they're using the debt to help propel their wealth and buy assets and stuff like that. And I think. 
one of the biggest things for you know people to understand is the clear distinction between the two mm-hmm. and you know there's going to be some things that you know may, may shock some people they, these things might be you know common sense to most people but you know understanding the difference between what good debt and bad debt are are just so important especially coupled with mindset and you know bad debt is things like personal loans yeah credit cards yeah and those are the pretty normal ones they've got you know the buy now pay later schemes and all of that stuff but another actually bad debt is the house you buy you know if you think about that like People are like, what are you talking about, John? But I've bought an asset. Well, hang on a second. The definition of an asset is something that helps you to derive an income. You know, it's something that's, if you want to make it even easier, the ATO says like that you can claim tax deductible interest on um, things that you generate an income on, you know, the, 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 on the debt repayments. Now, you can't claim tax deduction on the, on the home you, you live in. So it's a clear understanding that that is bad debt. And yes, we want to pay off things like credit cards and personal loans and stuff like that very quickly because usually there's a high interest rate that's associated with them. But once you understand the concept that a a home is a bad debt, it does change the way you kind of do things. Because Mason, we see a lot of our clients that are you know trying to get these multi-billion dollar houses, you know, but also you know they've got that spend the mindset. They want to get a you know advance in their 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 lifestyle like their sorry their lifestyle and in their wealth creation, but this is where we start to see debt really causing issues for these people. One hundred percent. I think seeing it as bad debt is really really important. So if you're spending a lot of your money on your principal place of residence, there's not enough left money left to do other things and to to do other investments this debt eats your cash flow. It's most households' number one expense. Like it can eat up 30, 40, even 50% of the budget for some people. So it's huge. Um, I, th- I know that my parents wouldn't like me calling that bad debt, cause, but it's unfortunately, by, based on that definition, it is bad debt. I'd say it's better than credit card debt, don't get me wrong, at least you, you have an asset and it's got a roof over your head. We all need a roof over our heads. Um, but it's not, as, it's not as good as probably the banks try to make it out to be um whereas an investment property that's generating you an income um so i think that's better debt anyway and and, uh, i'm a big fan of the book book, rich dad poor dad um you know and robert kiyosaki talks about the difference between good debt and bad debt and this is something that i've taught my young boys well i've got two boys but my eldest one i started teaching him when he was three years old and is the identification between assets and liabilities and do you, do you think that there's a lot of people that don't know the difference and therefore they use the debt to then buy liabilities more than they're buying debt, like actual buying liabilities and such than buying assets? And that's why they're setting themselves up to fail? That's, I think, uh, you hit the nail on the head there. I think people are using debt to buy liabilities and to enhance their lifestyle rather than buying these assets that eventually down the line will afford you the income to buy the things for your lifestyle. So it's, it's a more patient approach. Whereas, unfortunately, these days, it's instant gratification. Therefore, we need to use this debt to accelerate our liability gathering rather than our asset gathering. So I know Rob Kiyosaki, he very much says, buy, use debt to pay for assets that generate a positive income. So he's very much on the positive gearing train. Mm. Um, so I know negative gearing is really, really popular in Australia, but according to his definition, that's not using debt in a good way. Um, you could argue that might be wrong. Um, he's not obviously in Australia all the time, of course, and we've got different laws and things. But based on his definition, negative gearing isn't good debt. Um, so mm. I think that's quite interesting to think about that as well. 
Yeah, and and for people that haven't read the book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, it's it's a very kind of beginner style um, book that you can start with in regards to your knowledge in regards to wealth creation and whatnot. He does have some really really good nuggets in there. Um, he has started to go a little bit off the train in regards to some of these things that he is saying, but that book is <laughs> is is lovely. Um, but as well too, um, Nicola, as much as we're talking about people buying assets, debt is, can be a very very powerful tool for the people that use that, isn't it? hundred percent. So I guess what he talks about is, you know, good debt is when you're using the debt to buy yourself an asset that can generate you an income. And then I guess what we sometimes see people do is using that income to pay off their bad debt. So over time, they've got the same amount of good debt or their good debt's perhaps increasing and they're, they're earning more income. And over time, their bad debt's slowly, slowly decreasing until they've, you know, got none at the point where they say want to retire, but then they're left with these assets that are generating them an income. So it's really about utilizing debt in the right way. Um, And yeah, I guess knowing the asset that you're buying well, like is it a good long-term investment? Um, And yeah, it can't just be sort of the next hot stock or the next property that your mates recommended. It's something that's gonna grow over the long-term and yeah, really help accelerate your wealth journey. And and so on that point, there's a lot of people that I've spoken to and, and they wanna know, well, when's the right time to use debt? Because it's around like, okay, yep, I've got a home loan, I've got a couple of kids, I haven't paid off my house yet, but like, do I pull the trigger on just like refinancing my house, ripping out the equity, starting to do that? Like, when's the right time or what's some of the things that people can start thinking about when, like, when is that? Because, uh, you know, obviously it's a popular topic that people talk about using debt to invest, but there's also not a right time to do it and there's a right time to do it. Um, what what some of the things that you think or when's maybe you know, not time to consider yeah for sure I think there's a few sort of key things to make sure you've got covered first I mean definitely having like good foundations set up in terms of your financial planning so you know having an emergency fund having a decent amount of equity paid off in your home um, and then I guess looking at different scenarios before you do go to start looking at say a property to purchase so i guess some people working with a financial advisor and building that into that plan and actually looking like what what would this look like long term if we were to on extra debt what kind of risk is that exposing us to and then also how could that help us or like how much would that put us ahead um and i think what some people do is is they find the thing they want to buy or they, they get the idea first and then they sort of just figure out the rest later but unfortunately that can be quite quite costly because it is a really big financial decision no i think you're definitely right i think what you said there about laying the foundations first and having that protection particularly income protection because you need to service the debt Mm. so i I think some people think oh i'm not going to pay for income protection because it's too expensive if you can't afford income protection you can't afford the debt that's my opinion um it's somewhat controversial i guess but i just think it's so so important um and yeah, just making sure that protection is in place and having that good strong surplus cash flow. And also, if you're going to use debt, I think we need to talk about having that high risk tolerance because it is increasing your risk um, when you do leverage those assets. And it's it's something that people don't focus on. It's around managing the risk. And so, when you're trying to build wealth, create like wealth, it's more about managing the risks than it is about managing the returns. And so. When you are looking and saying, okay, well, my, fi- my foundations are good. I've got a cash flow system, this is that, blah, 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 blah. You've got to look at this and say, okay, well, I'm essentially putting a magnifying glass on my risk by taking off debt, on debt. 
So what can I do and what strategies can I take to manage that risk and reduce it? Because Warren Buffett is great at this, yeah? And he talks about debt being used for investments and how dangerous it is. And that, you know, one of the ways that a rich man gets broke is actually through debt. It's like pretty much the only way a successful investor can get become bankrupt is by using other people's, like using debt. And so when you think about something as a mechanism like income protection, but it could be certain techniques like reducing timing risk and making sure you've got cash flow buffers and there's heaps that you can do, yeah? There's about 40 to 45 different risks that you need to manage along the way. But when you kind of think about all this and you think about income protection, what you're trying to do, Mason, and, and I think the way that we're kind of trained is, well, when we're going to explore something to accelerate your wealth, that's cool, but let's protect our ass on the way through. Let's take that risk off the table. The risk of the table of if you had an injury or illness, we want your family to still have food on the table and not need to worry about that. Take that off, yeah? How can we reduce timing risk? Oh, all right, we might offer, we might do a dollar cost averaging strategy. We want to, rather than doing $500,000 of equity release into a strategy, we might DCA half of it, yeah? Um, DCA being short for dollar cost averaging. Um, but that's, that's doing that. You've obviously got diversification. Are we putting this $500,000 into a particular stock or are we spreading it across different ETFs, different asset classes? Are we trying to remove sector risk? Are we, you know, there's just so much different. No, and for everyone that knows, like maybe knows about me, like this was my major, this was my fascination. I love the, the management of risk, uh, managing risks, because I know that for our clients, if we manage the risks, the returns will speak for themselves. And this is not just from me, you look at some of the greatest investors like Benjamin Graham and, and, and Warren Buffett, this is what they're talking about, aren't they? 100%, I think, yeah, managing those risks. And you said there's like 45, like, I couldn't even name them all off the top of my head. There's just so many things you need to consider. And I think unfortunately, we often look at just the growth and just the gains that we can possibly make. But unfortunately, having to sell an investment and in an opportune time is why most people lose on these types of investments. Um, and things, people think, oh, property, that's never going to go negative. But we're seeing properties now with negative equity because we've borrowed money at 95% of the LVR, the loan-to-value ratio, is being extremely high. Property prices fall by 5 10%, all of a sudden you're negative equity. If for whatever reason you have to lose your job or got injured or something, have to sell a property and you'll still owe money on nothing. It's the worst thing that can possibly happen. Yeah, definitely. It's a it's a really not a good situation to get into. I've seen it happen before in in WA when we had the mining boom. I guess in the the early twenty um, tens, the property prices went up really high in the sort of mining areas, and people were buying investment properties there, and rents were through the roof because things were booming. And then what happened was, yeah, once the the we went to the bus stage, I guess where like mining wasn't going so well a lot of people fell into those positions of negative equity um and it's really hard especially some people you see like their parents go guarantor on the property and then going to negative equity it puts the parents property at risk so there just is so many risks you need to need to factor in definitely definitely i think the risk management is probably like one of your number one things that you need to manage Mm -hmm. like i know in our wealth creation framework it's a key staple of ensuring certainty and confidence when you're kind of getting to where you need to get to. And the time, when it's in in good times, you don't think about the risk. Like literally the last probably, you know, 2000 and what, 20, 21, kind of after the kind of COVID crash, you could have kind of thrown your money at anything and would have made money. Throw debt to that, you look like a rock star, yeah? 
The reality is it's it's when things are turning the other way. And so when you've got an experience right like now in 2023 where you've got rising interest rates, putting pressure on cash flows, first and foremost, if you haven't got a cash flow buffer and that's being eroded, you're gonna have to start making some really, really hard decisions, yeah? And if you, for example, use debt towards investments, and we're talking about property, stocks, crypto, whatever's tickles your fancy, if you've got asset prices that are dropping, you are all of a sudden in an equity or equity position, yeah? And yes, a lot of people talk about using debt to propel your wealth. And let's talk about it. You know, you might use a $100,000 deposit to buy a million dollar home. You go and you buy that million dollar property. So you own 900, yeah? You put $100,000 in. Let's not talk about stamp duty and stuff for now. We'll just yeah. talk about plain numbers, yeah? But let's say that, you know, let's say that property's down 10%. All of a sudden, the bank still owes nine hundred. You still owe nine hundred to the bank, and you you you've got no money. Your your money's evaporated. Yeah, so you've just blown a hundred. And this is what we're talking about about you know debt being a magnifier of whatever you do. So when we're talking about the likes of say Warren Buffett, this is what he's talking about. If you're using debt, yes, it can propel your wealth to that next stage, but it can also be really really detrimental and can should only be used on what I would call a accelerated investment strategy. Okay, this is once the foundations are solid. Not only I'm talking about, and I must emphasize, it's not just the assets and the liabilities and your balance sheet and your cash flow that I'm talking about in regards to foundations. I'm also talking about your mindset, the way you behave, yeah? If you don't have your mindset, your behaviors right, you're gonna make some pretty damn bad decisions, yeah, when things are bad. So debt, I love it. But I reckon most people can't use it and shouldn't use it until they get their foundations right. And I'm talking more, like I said, around their behaviors and their mindset rather than their actual finances and their balance sheet. Yeah, definitely. I think um, having those foundations in place first is really important. Like I've seen clients come in before and, you know, they're excited about seeing an advisor. They, they're thinking about the investment property and they just want to go for all the exciting things like, you know, um, taking on more debt to invest. Um, but if you don't have the right foundations in place, it can go really badly if markets go down. Another thing I kind of want to touch on is I feel like a lot of Australians, we're obsessed with getting a tax deduction. And so people are obsessed with the idea of negative gearing. Mm -hmm. Let's chat about it. <laughs> people are obsessed with it because it's the idea of, you know, I've got really high marginal tax rate. I'm paying all this tax. I've heard that I can get an investment property and start, start reducing that. Like, how's that going to work? I think that's a really, really good point. We are, we are obsessed with tax deduction. I think it's property tax deductions. That's what we love. We love them. And negative gearing is just such a, such a popular strategy, isn't it? I will put in a little caveat. I don't like paying tax either. Yeah. <laughs> but there's one thing I hate more than not paying tax and that's losing money. Yeah. <laughs> and so negative gearing, and let's be honest, Mason and Nicola, negative gearing is a nice wrapped version of losing money and being able to claim on it, isn't it? 100 that's a really good way to put it um and if you are going to go down negative gearing strategy you you're relying solely on capital growth mm -hmm. so choosing the right asset becomes so so critical if you're going to go down that pathway and i think a lot of people might look at their local newspaper see the real estate guides oh this looks like a nice property i know the area well let's buy it i, I can't lose on that that's gonna be great i'll negative gear it fantastic i'll borrow as much as i can fantastic no worries i've got a tax deduction i'm gonna make some money 
So it's, gonna be, it's a really, really long-term strategy and to make sure you're getting that capital growth. And I don't think a lot of people put enough time into choosing that asset, even though you're going to use so much money to buy it. It's just insane to me. There is, though, there is, though, a... I'm not going to say a merit to, like, losing money. Like, well, like, but I'm going to say that there is certain circumstances where you are still technically making money, but the problem is, is that there's speculation in there. And that's the problem. So, like, you can have a property where it's getting insane capital growth. You've got negative cash flow, negative gearing. So, you're getting the tax deduction on. You're getting the free hit from the capital growth. And it kind of justifies negative gearing. Kind of. Yeah? But the reality is you can't... You don't know what that growth is going to be from a capital sense in year two, year three, year four, year five. So, you're speculating on where that's going to be. And so, you've got to have pretty goddamn good cash flow to support that to enable that to happen and I'm not going to say everyone but most people that explore and then move into negative cash flow there's there's, there's better options there's other options that they need to be exploring mm-hmm. before they move to a negative gearing scenario definitely i think yeah the negative gearing one it's you are essentially people are losing money i think people just don't understand essentially what it is it's that each year, the, your, the incomings from the property are less than the outgoing. So you're spending money to keep this property going. And you're, for every dollar that you're spending, the maximum you can get back is like 47 cents, as if you're on the highest possible marginal tax rate. So yeah, you're, you are losing money. And I think you need to have a, a good long-term strategy around it. If that is the case that you're losing money in the short term, you have to sort of have a pretty solid plan and know that in the long term this is going to be a growth asset i think you're spot on i think yeah so negative gearing is a really well-known strategy but i know mm-hmm. a really it's probably the most sexy strategy that we ever use debt recycling people love it but mm. nicola what actually is it? or john what actually is it um so that it, it, it's interesting that you say sexiest because i must be honest like every time i put a poll on my social media about what do you want to talk about mm. debt recycling debt recycling it's like where did this word get like out there like you know, it, and yeah, so as soon as you said that's the sexiest strategy, I kind of knew straight away what you were talking about in regards to debt recycling. Um, debt recycling, for the all for, for all sakes and purposes, is essentially converting bad debt into good debt. And that's where the term kind of recycling comes from. And so let's just imagine you've got a home and you've got $500,000 of accessible equity. You grab that accessible equity that's in there, you move it into an investment structure. Let's just say um, it's in your own names, but you're purchasing shares. So all of a sudden, that equity that you've used is being used to generate an income. So that portion of that amount becomes tax deductible because of the, or the interest on that portion becomes tax deductible because it's being used for income purposes. But once again, do you have the right foundations? So. It'd be, let's say a client came on first and foremost, like as in straight up, new client, never seen them before. It would be very, very unlikely that I'm going to be recommending a debt recycling strategy straight off the bat. And we have like regulatory requirements and da 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 but more important for me is I don't know the client enough. Yeah, I need to build the, the, the understanding, the rapport. I need to understand their behaviors and the, the way that they're going to react. And... 
you know, you may hear things like risk profiles and the risk profiles essentially, you know, a combination of your risk tolerance, your, your risk capacity, your risk appetite and combination. But let's just use risk tolerance, yeah? And risk tolerance is essentially how much you can tolerate in regards to risk. Now, if you're using debt, you need to be on the high spectrum in regards to how much you can tolerate because of that magnifying glass approach. Tick one. Second thing is you've got to have good, good cash flows. Yeah, you've got to be able to support that debt pretty much rain, hail or shine. You've got to have some really good cash buffers. Now, when you start going through all of the financial requirements, which they are kind of like the financial requirements, you go tick, 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 tick. But then, for example, I don't know the person. So I don't know how they're going to behave. They might do a questionnaire in regards to their risk tolerances, for example, and they might indicate that they're a growth investor and they have one shaky ground and all of a sudden they're very secure. Yeah, and I have seen that on many, many times. I think the biggest, pro one of the biggest problems is the miss, the like the missing the right risk profile with a client. So I'd rather go conservative and build them up and understand how they behave in different times before I start deploying one of those sexy strategies. And when we're talking about sexy, we are just talking about something that can enhance your accelerated investment strategy. Now, if you've got millions of dollars in cash flow, you've got millions of dollars in assets, and you know, you've been a seasoned investor, well, yes, it can be appropriate for you because it is a powerful tool, isn't it, Nicola? Yeah, for sure. I think knowing, yeah, knowing a client's risk tolerance is really important. And I think a lot of people, we do tend to have that biased like around what's just happened. So if markets have been going up and up and up, people think, oh, markets are going to keep going up and up. And so they feel like they're willing to take on more risk. And it's not until um, markets start falling or property prices start going down that people start to really freak out. And that's when you really start to see, okay, what is this person's behavioral reaction to those kind of conditions? Um, so I think I agree. I definitely think it's, you're better off starting small and getting the foundations right and taking the slow approach than just going in head first and then kind of having to, you know, fix things up later. Why Nicola, like, is it powerful though? Like, if, I, I just want like, yeah, why would do you think that it's an option once it's available and once it's ticked all those boxes, why is it powerful, do you think? Mm -hmm. Well, essentially, um, taking on additional debt, you're also increasing the amount of assets you have. And assets, we generally buy them because mm -hmm. they grow in value over time or they pay us an income. So I guess in that sense, let's use, for example, property. Mm -hmm. The income would be rent. So mm -hmm. say someone's doing a debt recycling strategy, they would use the income to then, so the income from the rent after they've paid some of the expenses on the property they might then use that to pay off the bad debt on their home so over time they've got additional income on top of what they're getting from their employment to help decrease that bad debt and because they've got a bigger asset position you know if you're getting say a five percent return on a hundred thousand dollars mm -hmm. that's five grand but if you're getting a five percent return on a million dollars mm -hmm. that's 50 grand mm -hmm. so you can see how it starts to compound over time mm -hmm. But yeah, in saying that, you do need to be comfortable with the fact that it also accelerates the downturns. Mm -hmm. So your losses get bigger as well. Yeah, and I think obviously we're very conscious in regards to when it's used for people and whatnot, but it is a very powerful tool and exactly what you said. But mm -hmm. I think the other one that I don't take into consideration is the, the inflationary impact on debt. And Mason, we talk about this a lot, that when it's for the right people, like $500,000 debt today, if that was $500,000 in 20 years time, 
it's going to be worth much less in real dollars, isn't it? Yeah, I think this doesn't get spoken about enough. Um, I know inflation is always seen as a bit of a negative, particularly high inflation is seen as a bit of a negative. But when you're holding debt, it's, the opposite is true because you're borrowing money in today's dollars. But as you said, in the future, that's not going to be as worth as much. As we know, houses used to only be worth 100 grand, but now they're worth millions of dollars. So if you only held 100 grand of debt and you've held that for 30 years, it's not worth that much anymore. So there is a positive when it comes to that. So inflation does erode that value of the debt. So the banks, it's actually not great for the banks when, they, when they're holding a debt book that's eroding with, um, with inflation. And so, and so when you think about that, if you had a, like a strategy for somewhere where you deployed, say, $500,000 in a debt recycling strategy, um, or even in an equity release strategy, depending on where they're at. It, it, let's say that in 30 years' time, let's just imagine that's worth half of what it is now. Okay, in real dollars, it's worth 250000 But that asset might have grown over that time to be worth a million dollars or $1.5 million. And that's what we're talking about in regards to see how debt can be used quite wisely. But you've got to have those cash flow supports because if you don't have those cash flow supports, you could be in a timing issue, you know, you could be in a longevity issue depending on your life, you know, there's there might, there's so many different risks that associate. So ca- that cash flow needs to be really solid and the education and the mindset so that you can stick to that plan and see it out because from a long-term perspective, huge. And if you can use that in inflationary discount as you w- might wanna call it over time, you can start to get a real wedge on the difference between your assets and your liabilities. No, 100%. I think as well what we need to talk about is with a debt recycling strategy, you need the professional support as well. So I'm talking not just an advisor, you need a great broker and a broker who understands the strategy and even a great accountant as well who knows, oh, this is non-deductible, deductible. It might sound simple, but make sure those loans are separated out correctly. Having that broker on side, that accountant on side with your advisor as well, all talking, all know what the goal is. Mm. Crucial, absolutely crucial. Yeah, definitely. And having the right structures around your loans, you know, I mean, sometimes you come in and there's a difference between, you know, just having an interest only loan or do you have principal and interest? And that's going to depend on your strategy and what's your big picture and what's your long term. Um, And I think, yeah, you see people come in all the time and it's just it's just really a bit of a mess, isn't it? It absolutely is a bit of a mess, and that's and, but that's what we're here for too. We yeah, help to help to fix that up as well. So I think that's really crucial as well. Mm. And I think yeah, even with the property one, like. I think people always just hope, like hope for the best. But for example, what if what if you can't get a tenant in your property for a year? Like, can you cover that extra cash flow from your personal income, like your employment income? And if it's a no, then it's it's probably not the right strategy for you because for the strategy to work, you need to hold the property over the long term. It's not something that you can do for a few years and it's going to make you money. It's it's something that's we're talking 10, 15, 20 year kind of strategy. Spot on, guys, and I think I think the biggest one as well too. When you, oh, and I, I just all of this coming into my head, I just I, I see the lack of clarity that people have in regards to making decisions, and most of the decisions that are being made for their wealth creation is literally just blindfolding themselves and throwing a dart at the dartboard and hoping to hit bullseye. Yeah, and it's done with good intentions, yeah. you know, like the the they're wanting to get ahead, but it's just not having that kind of professional support or just you know doing what your mate did. But you know, not everyone's situation is the same, so you really have to have it tailored to your own position. And, and I can actually, client I saw last night, which like is perfect for this scenario, like dual incomes, no debt, great savings. Like if there was any client that I was going to go and deploy a debt recycling or a debt strategy for, it would be these guys, yeah? But don't get carried away. I said like, 
I want to know you. I want to know you more. Yeah, like I do, and I won't deploy that. But when we were deep in the conversation, they haven't had children yet, and they were planning to have kids. Mm. And those kids were going to be maybe two or three years ago away. They said to me, also, we want to might be, might be wanting to move overseas, so we might want to go yeah. to you, you know, live over. So when they started saying all of that, you know, yes, my brain was getting creative and going into strategy mode, but then it was like discount, discount, discount discount and because obviously doing this all the time i was i was going there and seeing you know where that position is going to be not now but in two years from now three years from now and i spend and we spend a lot of time modeling forecasting projecting and we know that life is not a straight line it's a squiggly one but if you know that things are going to happen just imagine what that person's cash flow that couple's cash flow is going to be like when they go down to one income because that's what their intention was you know, they're raising children. So she told me that she was going to be off work for six to 12 months. Yeah, then potentially change. Their, their, one of their life goals was to live and work overseas. Like there's no certainty around that income being there to be done. They also were considering to buy a house to live in as well too, to raise this family as well. Like when you couple that all into the scenario, mm. if you then are going and then just going, all right, let's just start a debt recycling strategy because it sounds cool. That would just blow that up, wouldn't it, Mason? Yeah, it's funny. Once you start digging a little bit deeper, all of a sudden you uncover all these things about the client that's like, oh, wow, actually, you can't do this. And it's a silly decision to do this. But you hear these things on Facebook, you hear these people spruiking it, um, and it's like, oh, this sounds really, really good. And it does sound fantastic. But really knowing your goals and, and talking to someone about your goals and just having that third party is just it's, it's so valuable. Well, we've definitely covered off on the debt recycling, but I want to kind of touch on something a little bit less sexy, but I still think it's an important one to talk about is, I guess, um, the trade-off between paying off additional debt and investing. I feel like there's a common thing for a lot of people, like they've maybe bought their first home, they've heard that investing is a good thing to do for their long-term growth. Should they start investing now or should they just put more towards the mortgage? This is probably the most common question that I think we get as advisors. Should I pay down the mortgage or invest, put into super, all this type of stuff? Mm-hmm. But it's that common question, like paying down the mortgage, yeah, that's fantastic. And one of the best things about paying down the mortgage is the guaranteed return. Mm-hmm. And with interest rates rising, that's becoming more and more attractive. Whereas investments are a lot more speculative, but over time, historically, they have performed better. So the numbers typically support a long-term investment strategy, but there's a lot of caveats with that, isn't there, John? So, yeah, there is. So, past performance isn't a true indicator of future performance. Let's just play that out. Um, history tells us that investing over a long period of time is better than paying off debt. Okay, You look at the Australian stock market, you look at the Australian property market, you look at international stocks, Pretty much over a long-term period, they're tracking at double-digit numbers. Mm. Debt's not tracking at double-digit numbers. Yeah, even if you do use, you know, tax considerations and whatnot, usually works out the better to invest. But that's, there's a caveat to that as well. Expectations in regards to investment returns are subdued in regards to where they have been in history. Mm. Yeah, some of the big boys out there in regards to research houses are saying that equity positions, total growth is going to be, you know, 67 to 7% returns. So if you've got debt positions or debts, you know, circling at sixes at the moment, yeah, you've got a risk-free return at six and you've got equity markets at seven, 
you know, there's, 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 you can understand the reason why people are pushing their cash flow towards debt. Okay. In saying that, though, I've ran the numbers multiple, multiple, multiple times. Yeah. And the difference between allocating towards debt first or allocating towards investments, there's not a huge difference between the outcome. So then it goes back to your risk tolerance and what you're willing to do. Because if you are very conservative in nature, yeah. you're going to be going towards debt. You're going to be making sure that that's, that's done. Um, so the decision is very hard and it's very personalized. But I don't think the difference between the two is as great as people make them out to be in 2023 and beyond. What it has been, different story, yeah? But I just think with the pressures of what's going on, um, on the investment side of things, which you can speak about in another day, yeah? Um, debt has become more and more attractive to pay off. And you just think about it, like for most people, like even the mindset side of things where your house is paid off, it's a big one, yeah, it's a big one. And like the problem is, is that when it comes to investing, it's about time. And so you could find yourself smashing off your debt in the next 15 years, but you haven't started to pay off, you know, started to invest. So you might find yourself completely debt free, which happened to a lot of like my parents era, yeah, where they, you know, grabbed that you know they saved they paid off their house very quickly but they didn't invest and then all of a sudden they've got you know million two million dollar properties whatever the case has got to be but they've got no super they've got no investments they've got no whatever they didn't kind of think about it yeah and so that's what i'm more scared of for people that don't allocate towards investments is around around well will they actually do it when the time comes and has they have they actually waited too long Because often if they haven't done it over that period of time as well, let's say they've spent 20 years paying off debt and then all of a sudden they're about to start investing, it's a huge mindset shift when you've never been in investment markets before, you're used to that exact guarantee of return of knowing how much you're paying off. So I kind of feel that having a bit more of a balanced approach can be good just because even if it's a small amount to start with, it exposes people to investment markets and they just get more comfortable with that over time. Mm -hmm. And like as the situation changes, they can adjust the strategy, Um, but yeah. Like you said, it, it depends on the person. 100%. I think I like to call that a bit of a Goldilocks strategy, a little bit of both. Um, not too much in here, not too much there, just right. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key one. And you've got to ask yourself too, um, if you're on track to p- repay your debt by 45, if you delay that till 50, what's the impact? You know what I mean? Like, it's is that, is that okay to delay it five years? I, th- I think so, but de- I mean, it does depend on your goals, of course. But... It, repaying in debt as quickly as possible, while fantastic, there are there's a sacrifice there too. Yeah, and and this is the thing. Like we do modelling and forecasting, but once again, it's modelling and forecasting. You, you don't know where that's going to end up. And most people, when we're in conversations, and they'll be like, "John, I want to kind of pay my debt off by the time I'm 50 or 60, whatever it is." Cool, and it comes out and it's like 57, and you're like, "Okay, cool. Well, instead of 60, can we push back out to 60? Add some more investments in." And lo and behold, it does work out better, usually, yeah? But once again, that's modeling, forecasting, not real life. But I think starting early and starting small, you build up that like that that muscle memory, that muscle, like it's like training at the gym, yeah? Just start to lift early, lift early, lift early, get better at it, get it better at it, and then start to build. And some people have accused me of being a bit like conservative, yeah? And I'm like, well, why do you need to take more risk on if you're going to get the outcomes you need to take? Yeah, like you shouldn't be just taking on unnecessary risk just for the sake of taking unnecessary risk. It's the lowest risk for the highest amount of return. 
Um, so I think when it comes down to it, like let's say we did a percentage and let's say a client had, you know, let's say $10,000 worth of surplus cash flow, I don't know, just saying after debt repayments. You know, I might start off with say 80% going towards their debt. But if someone's got $100,000 worth of surplus cash flow, well then that's a different story. And people might say, oh yeah, but no, 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 there's a difference between the number, yeah? And so it's me allowing for those buffers to go above that surplus cash flow for that, first and foremost, that's going through my mind. And two, just looking at the scenario and going, okay, well, how much are they, how, how good is their muscle memory? Have they invested for a long period of time? Do we need to start it? Do we need to start building this? Do we need to start creating the best behaviors? And then making that decision based on all of that. And you can see like someone trying to make this decision on themselves with their own emotions playing the block, the better of them. This is a bloody hard decision and I'm not shying away from this. Obviously we do this every day, but I, for the viewers and listeners out there, I just want you to understand the, the thought process that comes down. Now, do I use debt to invest? Of course I do. Some of the best decisions I've ever made was using debt to invest. But there's 20 years worth of financial education and behavioral training and, and psychology that kind of comes with that. You know, I have a wife and I'm sure that if I wasn't kind of, you know, helping her and educating her, she would feel really, really uncomfortable making the decisions that I make, yeah? But I'm making sure that I've got my stuff in check. I've spoken heaps about it before. Anthony in my team, who's my advisor, he's making sure we're in check and we're not doing some shit with our debt that's not appropriate. That's a really good point, John. That's what you said there. It's a nice, nice insight into what you are sort of doing as well. And I think when people first get a mortgage, particularly let's talk about the Melbourne city markets you're probably going to be taking on a mortgage of close to a million dollars. So let's say it's a million dollars. In my mind, like, I just think about it now, like, if I, if, oh, shit, I owe someone a million dollars. The psychology, that's pretty, like, full on. But that's a lot different to, if they pay that down quickly and get it down to, say, 500, they might be a lot more comfortable at that point in time to then start investing. It's that, we don't like owing people money. Well, some, well, I know a lot of people don't. Some people don't really mind. But I know me, like, I hate even owing my friends money. It's just not a nice feeling. So owing someone a million dollars, it's a lot. There's a lot of psychology involved in that. I think it's definitely something that weighs on people's minds, and it does sort of like it's sort of just this constant low-level, like prolonged stress that's in the back of their mind if they, you know, feel like they're not really making progress on their mortgage, and so I think it sort of is a bit of a mental thing. And like checking in over time is really important too, because if if we were chatting, having this conversation, let's say five years ago, and you know, rates are pretty low, historical investment returns for say the Aussie market are sitting around the nine and a half, ten percent. It's like, well, the differential there's so big that it seems like a no brainer in terms of, you know, um, interest rates are low on the mortgage, just pay off the minimum of that and then invest. But now it's it's different because rates have gone up. Mm-hmm. So mortgages are more expensive and that differential is a lot smaller. So it becomes, okay, like where do we draw the line? Where's the trade-off? And I think, yeah, it's important to be like re- reviewing that position regularly. Is this a society problem though? So what I'm trying to get at is that no one's forcing you to get the million dollar house. Mm-hmm. No one's forcing you to buy the $2 million mortgage, you know, had to get the $2 million house plus mm-hmm. have the car that you want plus have the handbag or the shirt or whatever it's kind of tickles your fancy. Is this just fueled? Like, I, I sometimes kind of, and I don't want to be conspiracy theorists here, <laughs> but like, I'm like, you know, these, this has happened in, in the last 10, 20 years. You know, social media has come, they came out at the same time. Governments around the world are just kicking the debt problem for themselves down the road. Mm. 
I think society has to kind of wake up a bit. Like, I think there's, there's enough one, no one doing that. Like, you don't need that $2 million house. Like, there are still houses out there that you can buy for $500,000. Yes, it's not as convenient, but you you can still do it. Like, house is a basic shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what's your thoughts on that, Nick? Because mm. you probably see a little bit of passion from me. I think people are just kind of digging their own holes as well. Mm. I think definitely... The keeping up with the Joneses sort of thing, I guess, like social media, we see so much online and, you know, it, it is, I get it, like people want the nice house and the nice car, etc. I think it's like a classic sort of Aussie dream, but you also want to have enough cash flow to be able to live your life and like have experiences and those kinds of things. Because I think the sort of shiny house, it's, it's sort of a rush at the beginning, but I don't think it's sort of necessarily makes us happy over the long term i don't think that's sort of a predictor so i think you know it's, it's a big cause of stress mm. and i think that personally having less debt being under less stress having more money to you know go on holidays have experiences those kinds of things is a really important like trade-off to be considering i want to ask you something um do you and obviously future is very hard for you to do but do you struggle yourself to see yourself taking on a million dollar debt 100 percent. i personally wouldn't feel comfortable with that because then i would be also feeling like okay there's this real pressure on me to like earn a certain amount of money forever and i just Mm -hmm. think i'm someone who personally i mean i don't value having like a huge nice house Mm -hmm. as much as i value like experiences and memories and those kinds of things there are different factors though that play a part like Mm i i get people don't want to be living two hours from the city and commuting for you three four hours a day like i think there are other factors that play a role and so i'm not yeah like shaving anyone for having that that want i think there's other factors in there and more to understand like the the way of thinking because obviously Mm. you shared like that scares you Mm. i think that you know for me having a million dollars of bad debt you know scares me as well you know that's a lot of money coming out of your cash flow um that is not giving you any kind of return on the money now obviously we're we're trained and maybe there's a little bit of bias in regards to putting our money to good use but that's what our viewers and listeners obviously are about as well too you know making sure that their money's being put to good use Mm -hmm. i think um the society problem is something that people need to take into consideration and we talk often about you know in in volatile markets turning off the noise i think if you're in a debt crisis you need to stop yeah Yeah. um i know for example like me i love cars that's my thing okay me and my wife love cars and i researched the 911 turbo the other day (laughs) and my um my instagram feed is just full of every single 911 turbo mm-hmm. trying to sell it to me, yeah? Um, and, you know, I go on my wife's phone, for example, and she'd be like, oh, you know, we'll share each other's feeds. Like, this is my feed and her feed. And you see, like, bags and shoes and this and that. <laughs> and, like, but you can understand, yeah? If, you, if you're, you're having crap day, yeah, and you just, you want some retail therapy, you can easily just go and buy stuff. Like, I reckon... There would be stats and i haven't done research on it but like that 9 p.m kind of would be like the purchasing time yeah where people are just run down had a bad day and they order something and they feel like it's going to be good and that instant gratification it's a massive dopamine here it's huge that's what it is and it and it doesn't last long unfortunately you sort of get a second one when it arrives in the mail and then it just 
dwindles, dwindles away. after that. And yeah. we were talking about this the other day around experiences and then, you know, buying things. And I mm. think that the debt, where, we, where I'm going with well, this society problem is just being fueled by debt. Like not many people are paying for this mm. stuff mm. out of their own cash that they've got available these yeah. days. You know, they're going to some, you can even talk about like schooling. You know, you speak to most, not most, but I can see it. Like there's a school around the corner from where I live pretty elite status school mm. fees are around kind of like close to 30 grand per child just to understand yeah? yeah and when i drive down like past that school there's every like luxurious car that you can imagine yeah. range rovers bentley's aston martins all of that stuff now in the flip side of that how much of that is actually being fueled by cash like actually money that they've got and then how many of them have big debts, big houses? And if you look at the areas that are under the most amount of mortgage stress, they're the most affluent areas in, 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 in sites. Yeah, because the bank will lend you more money if you have a higher income. If you're earning like 300, 350, 400, like they're just gonna lend you, you know, that makes them money. That's how mm. the banks make money is by having those massive mortgages. And I think, yeah, it's interesting. It's a conversation that I often, I've had with my mum a couple of times when she'd say like, oh, you know, so-and-so has bought this. Like, I just don't know how they've afforded it. Like, it doesn't add it up. And I just say to her, like, you don't know their financial situation. You have literally no idea whether that house is paid off or whether it's their equity's 10%. Like, you don't know. And it's not for you to know. Like, we don't know everyone's financial situation. But I think, yeah, you have to do what's best for you. I think comparison is just, oh. yeah. Absolutely. I think number one tip from here is the car is a terrible measure of wealth. Yes. It's a terrible measure of wealth. So People true. see a car and it's like, oh, they must be really wealthy. And I've been guilty of that too when I was younger. Oh, they must be really wealthy. I wish I was that person. Mm. Um, but I know in the psychology, I reference this book all the time because I love it. But in that book, he, he says that you don't notice the driver of the car. You notice the car. So you like, and we go to buy these cars and things because we want to feel like people are looking at us. It's like this is an elite status symbol, we're like going to elite school, all this image. Mm. But we actually don't care about the person. We're caring, we look at the thing. We're actually looking at the person. So it's quite an interesting thing to, to really think about and think, what am I actually spending this money for? Is it mm. for the image? You've got to catch yourself out sometimes and be really honest with yourself. And, and spot on. And this is where I talk about like, you just got to remember that banks make money from debt, like Nicholas said before, mm -hmm. yeah. And so, as soon as you can afford it, they're going to give you more, yeah. yeah. They're going to give you more. You get that credit card, get that, and they're going to fuel on the on the greed that's in your head and continue to do that. Now, debt is making the poor poorer, yeah. It's making the middle class think they're rich, but making them poorer. And at the end of the day, it's the people that have the assets who own the banks. The people that own the investments that are making it are ones who are making the most amount of money. Now, I'm not saying be ultra frugal and never use debt and whatnot. You just got to have a balance. Yeah, it's like everything. Everything in moderation is okay. But what I'm seeing in society is one people thinking that it's a need when it's a want, mm. and that they need to start understanding what really is important for them. And I know Mason and I know Nicola recently, but we've been speaking about for a long, long time about cutting unnecessary expenses. 
well now it's not a choice to cut unnecessary expenses mm. it's now like you must do it mm. because of the pressures that are happening on on households there was the stat the other day about like if the cash rate gets to 3.6 percent like 15 percent of people are going like mortgage holders are going to be negative cash flow mm. like that's pretty scary stuff it's terrifying that's that's the only word for it it's absolutely terrifying and if we really think about it if you look at our budgets it's, we're probably spending more on needs oh sorry more on wants than needs at the moment like and that's that's very common like there's actually not that much stuff you need really if you really think about it, like utilities shelter food that's, that's about it really it's it's quite simple but it's yeah it's crazy what's happening at the moment I think coming out of COVID, yeah, I guess people did want to spend because, like, they'd been trapped, you know, not be able to see people in lockdown. You want to go out, go to bars, buy drinks, et cetera, those kind of things. I think, yeah, it definitely is a balance and having a balance is important. But I guess it's sort of interesting now in the sense of how much people can borrow because interest rates have gone up. I guess, say, someone who was looking at a house maybe 12 months ago, two years ago, the amount they could borrow is probably quite a bit less than what it is now. And it's hard when you're now, you know, your budget for the place you perhaps want to buy is smaller, but it's sort of a good thing because you just have so much less pressure from the debt that you've got. Like it's an affordable amount of debt rather than... COVID was one of the worst things that could have happened <laughs> in regards to not just like living in it, but the the, the train of thought that it, it had for people. Mm. So I remember when COVID happened, I was really like that V-shake recovery. I was like, oh. Like people had a chance to learn. Mm. People had a chance to learn, but they didn't. Mm. 500 billion got pumped into, you know, markets and that. And then all of a sudden, you know, V-shaped recovery, look how easy investing is. Mm. But what happened as well too, is when the cash rate went down to zero, or close enough, 0.1, they didn't, they didn't learn mm. during hard times. And it's now, that they're like right now cash rate of three and a half percent or close to in history is pretty normalized like what we're talking about in regards to debt like just people need to i think understand that this is not abnormal this is actually normal what's Mm. more abnormal is yes inflation at seven percent but in regards to like your debt obligations Mm. we're not talking about cost of living now we're talking about debt obligations this is a pretty normalized thing. So if your cash flow is not working or you go to your broker and they are saying that you can only borrow 500,000, you can't borrow 800,000, well, it's probably the 800,000 that was wrong, not the 500,000. Yeah, exactly right. And that's why like financial literacy is so important and understanding this stuff because I think we do place so much trust in the banks. Like they're just kind of, you know, we kind of think, oh, they're not gonna lend us more than we can afford, right? Oh, why would they? <laughs> they've, got no, they've got no motivation to do that. Why would they off- do that? No, you're right though. It's important to have someone there saying, hey, yes, you can borrow that amount, but should you? Mm. It's a massive, massive difference. It's crucial. It actually is an interesting one because I'm doing this with a client at the moment. So they they could borrow, I think, they've got an existing mortgage, I think it's 650000 and they can borrow, like through their servicing, they can borrow another seven fifty, But... They want to send their kids to, to educate, like private school education. They want to like do holidays, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And once we did all of those calculations, like it was like, you're not taking out an extra 750,000. Like you do that, like you probably won't even see your kids because you're going to have to pick up a second job, both of you, mm. yeah? So 
yes, the bank might be able to kind of lend it to you, but you know, should you be taking it on? And that's 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 another thing. But you know, debt is debt is a big thing. It's there's a lot of moving parts in regards to it. It's actually the biggest like investment market as well in the world. Like debt is huge. Debt's everywhere, and it's not going to stop. And people need to have self control. Is what I'm trying to get it, get out and. I do see a wave of debt trying to get easier, like as in the ability for people to take out debt. And usually that will only stop once there's a debt crisis, yeah? And it's questionable to say if we are in another debt crisis or not right now, yeah? And I don't want to scare everyone, but let's talk reality. This is, when you talk about the 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 maybe the situation where 15% of mortgage holders in Australia are in negative cash flow, I'm gonna say that you're heading to a crisis, not a euphoric position. 100% right. I think it's always, when it comes to debt, just always be cautious. It's always like, rather than being bullish on it, be cautious and be really like, borrow less than you need. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's really important just to just keep it all in check. You don't have to borrow your maximum. You don't have to buy the investment probably right now. There's when your situation improves, there's, there's always going to be properties to buy. There's always coming up for sale. It's properties not disappearing. And I think a lot of times we think, oh, it's going to get out of reach. I'll have to do it now. It, it, it's not, that's not the case. It's really not. Yeah, patience is yeah really important. And just seeing the bigger picture. I think, yeah, it does often feel like there's a bit of a race kind of, I guess, like, you know, you start to get into your 20s. It feels like there's what you should be achieving X, Y, Z by certain time and, and there really is no no rush it's about having a good solid plan and you know making those right long-term decisions because yeah if you do buy a property and you're overextended you know there's a lot of costs associated with buying stamp duty and then what if you have to sell in a few years then you've got selling costs it's just yeah it's something that has to be long term it can't be just something you make the decision on overnight over the years i've only seen a handful of clients that i couldn't help getting out of a bad situation. Mm. But all of those situations were with, when when they came to me and their debt was out of control. Mm. I've never had I've never worked with someone who doesn't have debt and I couldn't help them out. But there's been a few that have come to me and, that, and I don't even know how they got the debt in the first place. And they're in a situation where they literally can't and have to make really bad decisions like bankruptcy and stuff like mm. that. And so like I said and we talked on this today was around how amazing debt can be the erosion of inflation building an asset you know when the right time is there you can use it well mm. but obviously on the other flip side just got to be cautious got to understand the mindset the society's factor you know how it actually plays on, on personal cash flow but it is a big thing it's not going away you're going to have to get you know up to speed with it and if you feel like this is out of control you've got to go to speak to someone um i love that chat I love speaking about obviously really deep into conversations and hopefully for the listeners and the viewers you like this new format. We've obviously got Nicola as well too, too from um, Western Australia coming over as well too and all together in face-to-face which is lovely to have. Um, but you know, hopefully you guys enjoyed it as much as I do. Um, thank you very much for everyone for listening and jumping on. Mason and Nicola, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cash Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to learn more about me, jump onto my Instagram at, at thejohncasher and you'll find me there or at my website at www.johncasher.com.au. Thanks for listening. Cheers.